0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. A couple of weeks ago we looked at uh, the beautiful uh, story that Jesus tells, not of the prodigal son, if you remember. It's the story of the two sons and the running father. And uh, we looked at how through the love of the Father for us, He changes our heart. He embraces us and He welcomes us in. He changes our heart. See, the good news of Jesus, and we've been worshiping about it uh, today, we've been looking at it uh, already as we've come and taken communion, so we recognise that there is a God who loves us deeply. And that is a revelation that changes everything. It should do because it changes our identity. Our identity is not located in our performance. Our identity is not located in religion. Our identity is not located in our failures or our past or our brokenness. Our identity is located in the Father who loves us very much. And that changes our hearts. But I don't know about you, and I don't know what your story is. Maybe you're here and you've been a Christian for 50 years. Maybe you're a Christian just a a short period of time. Maybe you're here and you're on a journey of faith. We all know that, that we make decisions in life. We encounter things in life, but it's, it's so hard to keep it up. And for those of us who, who are Christians here today, those of us who have stepped into a loving relationship with God, who've bent the knee and said, God, I welcome you into my life. And you've had that moment of transformation and change. You've, you've experienced the love of God. Your heart has been changed. Over the course of time, that, that change dissipates. I don't know about you, but I've certainly found over the course of my faith journey that I have found myself going back to old habits, going back to old behaviours. I know for myself, and I wonder whether for a whole number of us here, and maybe this is your story right now, is that actually you've, you've gone back to an old way of thinking, an old way of living. That joy that you had, When you first met Jesus has gone. That freedom and that life that you had when you experienced the power of God has somehow waned. And the passion and the fire and the love and the heart has been lost. And I want to look at a second part today in this How to Change series. Firstly, God changes our heart but I want to look at the, the ongoing journey. If, that's, if we use this in, te- in theological words, justification, we're justified by faith. That we've, we've come to a, a recognition that Jesus has done it for us. He changes our heart. I want to look at today another theological concept, which is sanctification. That actually it's not just a one-off moment but actually justification works its way out time and time again through what we call sanctification. God is in the process, praise the Lord, of continuing to change us. And He changes us through His love for us. He changes us through the patterns of our thinking. How to change, a changing of the mind. And I want to look at a well-known passage which I've never preached on. I get to preach on it tonight, uh, this morning, tonight. Wow, um, I'm not going to preach that long. Um, well, strap in, people. I'm not going to be here for 11 weeks, so it's, we could be here till tonight. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You know it, right? Let's read it together. If you've got your Bibles, open it up. The words will be on the screen behind me. Paul writes... Therefore, and as my father used to say, whenever you see a therefore, look what it's there for. In other words, go back. And what's Paul done? Paul has in a magisterial way articulated the profound truth of the gospel, how God has broken into humanity. He has fulfilled the covenant that was firstly given to the people of Israel and now it is for everyone, Jews and Gentiles alike. And even though we battle through our sin and our brokenness, God has made a way for us. And so in Romans chapter 12, he says, Therefore, because of all that God has done for us, for you, the redemptive work, the bringing in, the drawing in of those who are far from God, he has saved us. Therefore, in view of God's mercy. Actually, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, first. In view of God's mercy I'm going to unpack this for a few moments and my prayer is that, that you'll walk away refreshed, renewed in your faith or perhaps for the first time stepping into faith today. Firstly, I want to say, we can all acknowledge this, change is hard. Change is hard, right? We, we, we experience this all the time. Beginning of every year, we make these resolutions, don't we? Things are going to be different this year. Anyone in the pattern of making resolutions just... Put your hand up. It's okay. We all make... I mean, it doesn't have to be the beginning of the year, right? We make resolutions all the time about how things are going to be different. And it's hard. There is something about our bodies and our minds that resist change as much as we want it, whether it's to do with fitness, diet, or disciplines. It's not just in our personal life; we look at organisations as well. There, there is something hard about when, when the larger the organisation, the larger the system, and that includes the church people. The harder it is to change. And so, there's this a whole industry, right, on people who write books and books and books and sell books, promising you the, you know, this this wonderful, you know promise that you can change. And if you just take these three steps, you do these five things, and yes, they do all start with the same letter often, um, then you will be able to change. But the reality is change is hard. Change is hard. Not only is it hard for us in our bodies, in our minds, it's hard in our society. We live in a society that resists change. I don't know if you ever heard seen this experiment or read up on the experiment it was done in the, the 1950s and there's a whole bunch of issues with it but I think that there are some interesting things Solomon Ash in the 1950s uh, did this thing around peer pressure and he got together a group of seven people six of them were confederate they all knew kind of the, the deal they were in on this secret apart from one and what they did was they gave them a picture this is the picture and they they all had to decide which string have you got that there Alicia which string was the longest and, and which was the target line? And so obviously, as you can see, across at C. Um, but six of the seven argued that it was not C, it was another line. And it was fascinating to see that that one person, even though they kind of knew that actually the answer was C, because the pressure of the group, um, they actually often changed their mind. In fact, they, uh, well, the, the percentage was 75% of participants, uh, participants conformed at least once. And only 25 of the participants never conformed. You know, there is something about the pressure of group. There's something about the pressure of society. There is something about, about the pressure of the, of the context that we're in that resists difference, that resists change. And so uh, they, they, they made some summaries around the power of conformity, and this is what Solomon Ashe says. He says, "conformity tends to increase when uh, tends, conformity tends to increase when more people are present. Conformity also increases when the task becomes more difficult. You ever find that? Conformity increases when other members of the group are of a higher social status. Interesting. And conformity tends to decrease, however, when people are able to respond privately. There is something about society that seeks to pressure. We feel the pressure of conformity. The pressure to actually keep with the status quo. And Paul recognizes this. Paul is writing to the church, he's writing from Rome, he's writing to the Roman church. In that context, in that time, it was overwhelming that the pressure and and the power literally in Rome with the Roman Empire. And so there are a whole bunch of challenges and pressures, economic, social and physical pressures to conform with the empire of the day. And Paul recognises as he was writing to these young Christians who were minority in the, you know, a minority group, trying to figure out what it looked like to live, to live as Christians. Paul is writing saying, I know and I can see that the pressure of the world is wanting to conform you, to form you in a certain way. The message, messages of the surrounding culture is this, this and this, and it's seeking to mould you. As J.B. Phillips, uh, the theologian, uh, says about this passage, he says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mould. Don't let it squeeze you into its mould, but let God remould your minds from within. Paul is saying the culture wants to squeeze you into its mould. Change is hard. And so how does change, lasting change take place? Well, for Paul, he says, It's it's with our minds and our bodies and our spirit. Our minds, our bodies, and our spirits. Firstly, our bodies. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul is saying that your bodies matter, that what you do with your physical body matters, it has an impact. I don't know if you've been following um, any of the Ashes uh, recently. Uh, It's been compelling watching. In fact, so compelling that my wonderful American wife, who hates cricket, even joined me last Sunday night as we watched uh, uh, England try and chase Australia score. And there was one cricketer who I think learnt that actually what he does with his body matters there's a there's an image which I just there was a whole bunch of memes that came up this week and uh, I don't know if you've got it there um, Alicia of Johnny Besto I just uh, I just really like that meme that's just gold right there now a whole bunch of you just got what are you talking about well Johnny Besto was just completely spaced out he was not really thinking about his body and what his body was doing and so he just walked out of his crease and got run out it was brilliant um <laughs> Some of you might be crying foul. Um, it, you know, John, what Johnny did with his body as he stepped out of his crease and got stumped had serious implications. Serious implications, not only for a test match, but it caused great um, you know, issues between our two prime ministers uh, to, the, to the point uh, where words were said. What we do with our bodies matters. What we do with our body matters. Now, this is really important when Paul's writing because he is writing to a context and a time uh, where there was Gnostic thinking. Gnostic thinking ebbs and flows uh, throughout culture. Even today, I actually, I, I think we see Gnostic thinking even today. This kind of thinking that there is a, there's a higher truth. Our, our spirits matter. Our minds matter, but our bodies don't. Our bodies are, are disconnected. It's, it's, it's a dualism. And so, what what happened in that time was Platonic from Plato. And so, what you would see is that people would disregard their body. They would either move to asceticism and they'd kind of pull their bodies away, or they just wouldn't care and they would treat their bodies with disdain. You know, there was messaging in that time that the bodies were bad, the mind and the spirit was good, and so you needed to seek that, this higher truth. I think we see it in our modern world today. The body is no longer sacred, we're free to do whatever we do with our bodies. As long as you have access to your truth, your personal truth, your higher truth. And so Paul is writing to this context and he is saying offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Your body matters. If there's any evidence of the fact that our physical body matters, we can see it in the resurrection. You've heard me say this before. That when Jesus returned from the dead, he returned in a physical body. A different kind of body, but a body Nonetheless, a body that was able to consume fish, hug, touch. Our bodies matter. They will, they will matter for eternity. Paul says, offer your bodies. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. But it's not just our body. He doesn't disconnect the body from the mind. He says, no, our bodies and our minds are connected and so he says, the mind also needs redemption. The mind also, our thoughts also need to be changed. See, what we think matters, what we believe matters. And so he says, this is your true and proper act of worship. That, that true and proper is the word, the Greek word logikos, which means reasonable or rational. In fact, some translations will say this is your reasonable, this is your rational act of worship. Paul is saying that your reason and your mind is important. In fact, it's an act of worship. See, what you believe, what you think, what you believe about the world matters because it shapes our values, our our ethics, that determines our behaviour. And fundamentally, I think Paul is getting, this is getting to the heart of it. What you think determines what you do. What you think determines how you act. What you think determines what your body does. So what do you believe? There is a step of faith involved, that we've all taken a step of faith. We live our life in this realm of rationality and belief. thinking and faith. It's been a joy over the last couple of weeks to celebrate uh, some in some weddings. And um, Ebony and Mitchell got married a couple of weeks ago. It was great to be with them and to celebrate their wedding. Sorry, guys. And here's the thing with faith. Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're going, "Um, I'm still on this journey. I'm not quite sure. I need to have everything nailed down. I need to to think things through. I need to have all the answers before I step into what I believe. The reality is, is that we can't and we don't. See, with marriage, marriage is a great example of that. You know, for Mitchell and Ebony and, and for any couple, you will never fully know the other person when you, when you get married. You, you can never really know. And I reckon there's a whole bunch of reasons why maybe some people don't get married. But the reality is, is that, that there is a step of faith. Yes, you've done a journey with the other person. Yes, you're wanting to figure out who they are and you need to know enough. But at some point, you've got to take that step. At some point, you've got to do that journey and you're going to figure it out along the way. And Paul says there's a renewing of the mind. There is a, a rationality, but it is also a faith journey. And so that's why he says it's a spiritual act of worship. See, what you do with your mind and with your body together, walking in faith. Is a spiritual act of worship. See, we're all worshiping. We're all worshiping something or someone. And we can see what we're worshiping through what we do with our mind and our body. It's reflected in our actions. Our worship reveals what we believe. Our worship reveals what we believe, where our faith is at. Now, I don't mean, you know, we had a wonderful time of singing before. I'm not talking about necessarily that worship, although that's part of it. What I'm actually talking about is where you place your values, where you place your heart, what you do with your time, what you surrender to. And Tim Keller says, you know what you worship by what you sacrifice to. Really helpful. Again, coming back to Romans chapter 12. So what do you sacrifice? Sacrifice. You know, you sacrifice your time to it, your money to it, your commitment to it, your thoughts to it, your energy to it. What are the things that you surrender all that? What's the thing that you surrender all that to? What do you do with your bodies and your minds? It points to what you worship. See, worship reveals what we believe, but worship also reshapes what we believe. See, what we do, the patterns our behaviours, our worship actually shapes who we are. It actually forms who we are. David Foster Wallace says this, and he's speaking about the, the, the shaping and the forming reality of the world that we're in. That we are being formed and shaped in many different ways. We will walk out the doors today and there will be messages. We are trying to help our kids understand this at the moment with advertising. And actually, you know, Speak to asking them the question, what's that message trying to say about you? How's it trying to shape you? See, we're getting messy. Our culture shapes us in a whole bunch of ways. This is what David Foster says. The insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. It's that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. More and more, I would say that screens are shaping us. That actually, as we worship our screens, yeah, as we spend time looking at screens or computers or whatever it is, they are forming us and they're shaping us, particularly for emerging generations. So Paul says, what we do with our minds, with our bodies, matters, because it ultimately it reveals our spiritual act of worship. And so Paul says, I want you, I want your mind to be renewed. I want to get your mind, your mind, your thinking needs to change. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I really want to quickly look at two words. Sorry, I'm going using some Greek words today, but I think they're helpful. There's two words that I'm gonna look at. Firstly, it's the changing of the mind. There's a changing of the mind. There's a word um, in Greek that we see in the New Testament, is the word metanoia. Metanoia. And it's the, it's the word that it's used for turning around or repentance or a changing of the mind. Metanoia. I think you see it with the younger son. The younger son finds himself in the pig pen, right? He's eating the scraps of the food with the pigs and he has a moment, an idea, hey, I actually can go back to the father. And so there's a changing of the mind. There is in, in, in a very real sense of repentance, I'm broken, something needs to change. I turn around, there's a metanoia moment, and i walk back. A changing of the mind. And we need a changing of the mind. You have had, I'm sure, at one point, for those of you who are in faith, a changing of the mind. And maybe there needs to be another metanoia moment for you today. A changing of the mind. It's very hard. And this is certainly something I've been reflecting on even over the last six months. About even though I make a change of the mind, a decision, how do I keep walking that out? How do I keep walking out that change process with a change of mind? James Clear, who wrote the book Atomic Habits, I don't know if you've heard it. He's not a Christian, but it'd be great if he could apply some of the things that he's writing to the Christian worldview, because I think it'd be super helpful. Um, He says says this about uh, the changing of behaviour. He says, so often we are focused, there's three steps to change, outcomes, process and identity. And often we focus on outcomes. But he says that we need to focus on identity. He says this, outcomes are about what you get. Processes are about what you do. Identity is about what you believe. When it comes to building habits that last, when it comes to building a system of 1% improvements, the problem is not that one level is better or worse than the other. All levels of change are useful in their own way. The problem is the direction of change. Many people begin the process of changing their habits by focusing on what they want to achieve. This leads us to outcome-based habits. The alternative is to build identity-based habits with this approach. We start by focusing on who we wish to become or to put it within a language for today. We need to understand that there is a truth that is spoken over us. It's a changing of the mind that says, I have my identity in God. It's been something that I've started to apply um, and tried to. I found it it transformative. This idea of, of starting even my time with God by starting with my identity. Starting with that truth claim that I am loved, starting with the the, the truth claim that I have been redeemed, that I am a child of God, and nothing can change that. When we take hold of the truth of our identity, it changes our mind. There's a change of mind that impacts who we are. Rather than saying, I'm going to be this or be that, I start by saying, I am a child of God, or whatever that might be. There's a change of mind by starting with taking a reality of the identity that God speaks over us, and that transforms us. I think sometimes what we do in the Christian journey is we we go, yes, I was saved. Yes, I did receive grace at that time. But we then slide back into works-based righteousness, we slide back into, that was then, but I've stuffed up so many times since then. And so I've got to earn my way back to the Father. And it's, a, it's, it's, it's not true. We need to go back to that place again and grab hold again and rehearse again the truth that we are loved, we are forgiven, that this is not about earning or striving or doing, but come back to those first principles that we are loved by the Father. And that is our identity. And when we do that, when we live in that truth, we will be transformed. There's a change of mind, metanoia. And the second word is a transformation of life, which is the word metamorphosis, transformation. It's the word that we see here in Paul, but be transformed, metamorphosis, metamorphosis. We know that you know you maybe maybe you've heard the that that the idea or the, the you know the picture of a chrysalis, you know as as a a, a, a caterpillar surrounds itself and uh, transforms into a butterfly. In the same way, Paul is saying that when our minds are renewed, when we take hold of the truth of who we are, we are transformed day by day. We are being transformed day by day. We are being changed. And here's the the wonderful thing. We are being changed supernaturally. There is a supernatural change that takes place in our heart. Yes, there is a posture that we come before God and say, God, I need you. But there's something as we do it, that God pours out his power and his grace into our life and he transforms us and he changes us. This is not just about self-help. This is not just about ticking all the boxes or doing the right things. Disciplines are key, are key, absolutely. But there is a supernatural moment that takes place. In Mark chapter one, John the Baptist says, I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. Paul says you will be transformed as you're filled with the Holy Spirit. In John chapter three, and I'm going back a little bit to our series that we did at the beginning of the year Hannah referenced that calm Holy Spirit. So we need the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, supernaturally transform us. And Jesus in his conversation with Nicodemus under the cover of night says this, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to, birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. There is something about the Spirit of God that wants to refresh us, renew us, change us, transform us. All we can do is receive it. All we can do is say, God, I need you. I need you to transform me. I put myself here. Will you transform my heart? Will you pour out your Spirit upon me? Will you remind me of who I am in you? It's by the the Spirit that we cry out, Abba Father. It's the Spirit that moves in us. It's the Spirit that changes us. And I wonder whether some of you here this morning feel as dry as my voice sounds right now. Actually, in your spiritual journey, you've lost some of the joy. Maybe maybe you're here and you've stepped back into works-based righteousness. you've, You've forgotten your identity. You've forgotten who you are. And God wants to pour His Spirit back into your life. He wants to remind you. He wants to renew your mind. He wants to renew your heart afresh this morning of who you are in Him. A renewing of your mind. A renewing of your heart. And as you do, and as he does, and this is the wonderful news of Paul as he writes, he says, then you will be able to test and approve God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's as, as we allow the presence and the power of God to come upon us, then we're able to discern his mind. Our minds are transformed to know the mind of Christ. I'm going to get the band to come up. When you all come up, I, I, I'd love for this morning, there's just a couple of responses. I reckon there's, there's some of us here, maybe a bunch of us here. And uh, the reason I'm holding a bottle of water is not because I really need a drink right now, but, um, but actually, I reckon a whole bunch of us just need to be refreshed. Actually, there's a renewing and a refreshing of your hearts and minds. This morning, that actually faith has become dry. That actually change feels like it's a mile away, and the whole journey, your whole faith journey, has perhaps hit a brick wall, or perhaps you're just you're looking for something you're needing a fresh sense, or maybe you've forgotten the goodness and the grace and the love of God. And you just need to take a drink again. You need to allow the Spirit of God just to pour into your life, into your heart. You just need to be refreshed and renewed. And there is something about it where, as Paul says, there's a, there's a body and mind element to it. So I've got a whole bunch of bottles of water down here. And here's what I'd love for you to do. In a moment... As we respond, if that's you, it's need a refreshing, a renewing of your faith. Let me invite you just to come down and grab a bottle of water and you can take it with you. But I invite you just to come and just to stand as we worship. And we're gonna sing a song that we sang before, Build My Life. And almost just stand here and symbolically bodily just stand and say, God, I need a refreshing. Will you fill me afresh? I reckon there's, a, there's another group of people too. You literally need a refreshing and a renewing. There is something beautifully symbolic. If we talk about our bodies for a moment, again, we're being molded and shaped whether we like it or not through our worship. Just as we took communion together, there is something beautiful about the way that that orients and shapes our heart. I wonder whether there is a, there's a number of you here. There's someone here. And, uh, and you've been a person of faith, but you haven't yet been baptised. And now's the time. In fact, the time was as soon as you stepped into faith, as soon as you said yes to Jesus, that's the time where you're invited to get baptised. Baptised is a bodily act, but it's significant. The statement of going into the waters and saying, I am washing myself, I'm identifying with Christ in, my de- in death, and coming up in new life, being washed clean. Jesus says it's a command, be baptised. So if you haven't been baptised, let me invite you to come down and grab a towel saying, I'm making a statement. I know it's time to get baptised. We've got our city retreat coming up in October. You can get baptised in the creek down there. It's always a joy. Or we can you, we'll find another way. We'll find a pool somewhere. It's a little bit of a challenge here in the city right at the moment. We're working at some solutions to that. We'll find a way for you to get baptised. But I'd love for you to come down. If God is speaking to your heart right now, now's the time to make a statement. It's time to get baptised. Why don't we stand to our feet? Come on. Down here, got a whole bunch of water, bottles of water. We're gonna sing. We're gonna worship. and invite you. I'd love to pray for you in a moment. I would just love for you to come, grab a bottle of water. Oh Lord, refresh me, renew my mind afresh. Give me that joy. Renew the joy of my first of my salvation. Come on, just come down. As we sing, just and stand along here, and uh, and worship, and then I'd love to pray for you. Come on, let's sing. Come on down. Come on, grab a bottle.